Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Stop Stressing Me Out. I'm your host, Victoria Smith. And what's stressing me out this week? Oh, I don't know. I'd be so curious to hear from you over on the old Instagram, what's stressing you out this week? The good, the bad, the ugly, the the funny and in between. Um, I am on week two of three weeks of sort of mostly solo parenting. I say solo parenting specifically. I'm not single parenting. I do have a partner who's, you know, here most of the time. So really, this is just three weeks of travel for them. Um, and yeah, I'm just, it's it's not the managing the tantrums or anything like that that's all fine it's more just making sure I get my work done in the amount of hours I have childcare for so that's a little bit stressing me out this week and making sure I have time for self-care but otherwise you know all is pretty much ticking ticking along and looking forward to summer don't know about you but I am super pumped because this week on the podcast we are talking all things financial anxiety I don't think there's a single person listening to this podcast that has never had a financial worry or concern, right? Like it's just what so many of us go through and and in different ways at different points in our of our lives. Some points of our lives might be all about the debt that we've accrued, be it student loans or, you know, we've over um estimated what we could afford in terms of a house or 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 that kind of thing. And for others, it's like that emergency expense that came up that you were not expecting, be it healthcare, something to do with your home, something to anything else like that. And it just knocks you sideways. Um, it's one of those things where I also think we were not trained on how to handle our money in school, right? I look back at high school and junior high and I'm like, I learned a lot of really useless things. Wouldn't it have been cool to have learned how to do my taxes? Um, like no shade to the lovely folks who do my accounting work uh, and my taxes each year because they make my life much easier. But wouldn't it have been amazing if we were taught about RRSPs and RESPs and this language might be different in different uh, countries depending on where you're listening. But like your retirement savings, education savings plans, um, how to do your taxes, all these things you know, when you need an emergency fund, how much do you need an emergency fund for? How to invest? All of these things that I think a lot of us can feel a lot of shame over, right? Because it's like, well, you should just know how to handle your money or it's a taboo subject. And so that's exactly why today on the podcast, I wanted to have Alyssa Davies from Mixed Up Money. So Alyssa Davies is a personal finance writer and an expert who shares her best resources and tips to create like a shame-free look at money, which is what I love. So I first found her on Instagram. I find a lot of a lot of our guests, I find them on Instagram, uh, found her through her account Mixed Up Money, which is also the name of her blog. And I've also been following her podcast that she co-hosts with Bridget Casey called uh, Money Feels Podcast. And I will highly recommend you take a listen to it. I'll include all the links in today's show notes. And what I love about Alyssa's approach, and and we talk a little bit about how she got into it in the podcast today, is very much that it's about the tangible small actions that you can start taking today. It's not, um, here's how you can invest in real estate to like make a million dollars. It's like, here are the small tangible habits that you can shift each and every day to get closer to your financial goals and as we discuss in the podcast what your rich life looks like. So I was really pumped to have Alyssa on the podcast as I don't know about you but I feel like we're getting more financially anxious as like a recession looms and the price of groceries or basically anything is going through the roof and it just felt the time to to maybe talk about it a little bit more. I know it's what I'm talking about with my friends and family so let's talk about it on the podcast. So in this episode, we talk, uh, do a deep dive on financial anxiety and like what are some of the tangible tips that we can actually change if we're not in control of, say, our salaries changing. We talk about the importance of your money mindset and why it's important to get a handle on how you feel about your money and perhaps some of those unusual ways that money trauma can show up in our life. We also talk about the concept of a rich life and how that does not have to depend on how much money you have in your bank. We also talk about the concept of coast fire and whether it's realistic to hit those targets or not. 
I had such a blast having this conversation with Alyssa and it honestly made me feel so much more comfortable talking about money in general. And so I wanted to do something fun. So if you head on over to my Instagram at stresslessladies, I will be doing a giveaway of her second book, which is called Financial First Aid. And I have absolutely been adoring this book. It's just super easy to uh, implement the strategies right away. And I think you'll enjoy it too. So you'll head on over to my Instagram. I'll be giving doing the giveaway for about a week. Just look for the post that has that has financial first aid, you know, in my hands and participate that way. So without further ado, let's head into the episode with Alyssa. Okay, well, thank you so much, Alyssa, for joining me on the podcast. We're super pumped to have you. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to chat about money and stress, two of my favorite topics. Right? So I guess I would love to kick it off with like, what are some of the three like annoying, small, whatever things that are stressing you out this week? You know what? I tend to ignore the small stressors because I'm always so caught up in the big stressors. So like, it's always managing my schedule because summer camps are almost starting. We're switching from like winter sports to spring sports with my kids. And I also have my own tasks. So I'm just overwhelmed by all of the things on our calendar right now. I actually haven't even had a chance to update our family calendar. So I guess that's one of the small things stressing me out this week. And because of that, I haven't been fueling myself as good as I should be. And the last thing is I have to return a a clothing item. And I hate doing that. And this will be the, to be honest, this will be the first time ever I've returned an item of clothing because it is my biggest dislike about shopping. Returning it online or returning it to the store? I mean, I could probably just ship it, but I think it'll be faster if I just whip into the store. So I actually have to go into the store, just not my cup of tea. (laughs) I know. I think I would prefer to go into the store than have to go to the post office, though. The post Mm -hmm. office stresses me out. That's my nemesis. Really? I feel like I go to the post office enough that it's now become just something I do. It's the lineup. I can't do yeah. that. Like, it's too long. It's either too it's long or there's nobody there. You There's nothing in between. <laughs> it's true. That's very true. <laughs> so for, for those who don't know you, and I feel like I've just been following you so long, I'm like, who doesn't know you? How Can you tell us a little bit how you got into personal finance? Like, how did this all come to be? Of course. So I, I always get this question from people that I randomly tell that I've written books about money because they're like, how did you end up there? And my answer is always, well, by being very bad at money. And it's like similar to what you just told me before we started recording. I asked you, like, how did you get into this? And it's usually because you've experienced what you want to overcome or what you want to help other people overcome. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was in a massive amount of consumer debt. I felt like I was trapped and money was just a constant worry for me. Like I couldn't sleep. I was struggling to afford basic needs and I had to find a way out. And the way I found out of this was by holding myself accountable online, publicly outing myself for what debt I owed, how I was paying it back. And it turned into something I loved because I got to learn about it. And I also got to improve my literacy in finance. And it makes so much sense, right? Because you don't want to learn money management from people who are like, I've been great with money my whole life. I've already, I've always had money. Like that's not relatable and it doesn't, you don't learn much from that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the point is that it depends. Like some people might want that and some people want the person who is more compassionate and empathetic because they've been in that position. And that's why I like this community is because there are many different voices and many different people who can share their experiences because it's really hard to find everything you need from one person. No one is going to be able to relate to everything you experience with your money. So we need all of these different experiences and voices. When you were um, in the depth of that like financial stress, um, can you tell us a little bit about, like you were saying, kept you up awake at night? Like how did that... um like metastasize into the rest of your life? Well, one of the biggest worries for me was I couldn't keep up with my credit card bill payments. And I was also in a job that was not paying me enough to make those payments and cover all of my other expenses. And I was in a job that was toxic 
and I had a boss that was sexually harassing me. And it was just a really uncomfortable situation all the way around because the one thing that was keeping me in that toxic job that was stopping me from getting into a safer workplace was money. And it was impacting everything in my life because I couldn't do the things I loved. I didn't have the time or the resources because money was so scarce. And I was working another job serving to help make up for that lack of income. And so it just, it impacts everything. It impacts your emotional well-being, your relationships with other people, how you do at work. You're just not your best self when the obsession with worry is in control. And I think like what you were sharing is like, that is so common for so many people, right? That feeling of being trapped. I'm in a situation I do not want to be in. I need the money to stay here. It's not enough money to do what I want, but where is the in-between? Like, what was this, what were the first couple of steps that helped you get out of that situation? I felt like I had no choice but to quit and just find another way because I was at my wit's end. So I went back to school. That felt like a safe option. That was the last time I felt like I didn't have any worries in my life. And it was just an easier choice for me, which doesn't really sound ideal because it was just me adding more debt, Mm -hmm. but it got me out of that toxic workplace. It put me into a better state of mind so that when I finally went to tackle my debt and find a new job, I had a bit of a clearer head. And so I went back to school for a year. My husband, now husband, before my boyfriend proposed to me. And that was when I was like, okay, it's time to move forward. It's time to start dealing with this financial difficulty. And I found a job that I loved and I immediately started tackling my debt. And what's interesting about that is like you were saying you had debt. Going back to school adds more debt, but it is a way that you, like it is a choice that you made with your money that helped you feel more in control of your money. So actually spending can lead to you know, better results in the end as well. Well, I think one of the biggest things that we forget about money is that if we don't do it clear-headed, then we're more likely to be impulsive. We're not able to make decisions in the best way. Mm -hmm. So you have to get to a place where you're actually ready to tackle it because it's not something you can do when you're feeling that worry. It's like really hard to even open your bank account, let alone think about the steps you're going to take to repay that debt. So I felt like it gave me an opportunity to start at zero. Like, I feel okay. Mental health is good. I can now start to unravel all that I've done in the past. I really like that. No, it's, um, and and for so many people, right? Like you just cannot operate from that straight, that state of constant stress and overwhelm. Yeah, most of us. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So in terms of financial anxiety, because that's like the real reason we're here to talk about today is we, I mean, just thinking about my grocery bill, right? Like finance, costs are on the rise for everybody. And it feels like there is just this state of decreasing affordability for those daily expenses. And not even just like, I think we often think of finance in the terms of like, what if you're like just working paycheck to paycheck and struggling to get by? I even feel like so many of those of us with like, quote unquote, decent salaries are struggling of the idea of unexpected expenses or our insurance premiums going up, all of those things. I'm just like rambling here, but as a result, that's the financial anxiety, right? That we're feeling that is is increasing. What? How do you advise people move from that state of financial stress into action? Because a- action is really the only thing that's going to make that difference, right? Yeah, I think it's it's such a tough time in our economy because Almost every week, I get a request to come on the news and be like, what do you have to say to Canadians who feel overwhelmed about their finances? And it's hard for me to sit there and give a three-minute spiel, like that's all the time they give you, and say, you need to change this about your money because there are so many external factors that dictate what you're dealing with and how you're feeling about your money. So ideally, the first thing you can do is literally just focus on what you can control. And that is so much easier said than done when it comes to anxiety, because the entire premise of anxiety is that we're all stuck in this what if cycle. And so we kind of just have to remember that you are in control of yourself. 
you have to accept that for what it is. You cannot control other people. You cannot control the economy. You cannot control how much your boss pays you. And so the more and more that you worry and fight against these external circumstances, the more anxious you're going to become. So when we accept the situation, you kind of remove that mental and emotional burden of constantly trying to change something beyond your control. So for example, if your salary isn't changing, then you need to consider what you can control about the situation. Is it looking for a new job? Because you've tried, you've been waiting for one to three years and nothing is changing. There's no more room for growth there. Is it furthering your education? Because maybe the industry you're in isn't able to provide you with the means that you need to live the life you want. Or is it finding a new stream of income? You like your job, you see that there is potential for growth, and you do have the bandwidth to add another job or add a side hustle or look at other opportunities to increase your income. Worrying about your money is just exhausting. So focus on what you can control. What are some of those things that you are taking control of right now as like grocery costs and everything are going through the roof? So I always focus on keeping track of my spending every single month. So at the end of every single month, I look back and I assess my spending and I make sure I'm on track with my budget. I don't love budgeting, but I do it when things are unstable. So when things keep increasing, and that is really common if you have little kids. So like my grocery budget is increasing every single year and I'm having to adjust my budget to make room for that and shifting things. So I'm being flexible because I don't have as much control over my grocery spend as I used to. I have to buy this food for my family. And so I'm looking at ways I can make it work. What about like, I think so many of us have budgets on paper or in Excel, but it's that reviewing it at the end of the month, right? It can feel really overwhelming. Like what are the tools that you use to make that a simpler process? Because I think I've tried the same, well, I've tried some of those apps where it like imports some of your, um, like your banking statements and all of those things, but you still need to go through the work to categorize it. And it all feels again, overwhelming, right? And so it's one of those, eh, am I roughly on track? the numbers slowly going up or it's staying the same? Like, how do you make that a simple process? Well, and I think that's why I like doing at the end of the month. Yeah. I mean, you can track every single expense, but then I feel like you do get bogged down in that obsession with how much you're spending and restricting yourself. So at the end of the month, I, I don't love those apps because they don't, it's all just happening automatically. You're not really seeing, feeling, like understanding what that money is doing. So the first thing I do is I sit down and I take pen to paper, which not a lot of people love to do, but this is one hour a month that I dedicate to this. So it's not that much time in the grand scheme of things. I go through my entire banking statements, my credit cards, everything, and I categorize them myself. Okay, I spent this, I spent this. And I give myself that moment of, wow, that's a lot of skip the dishes orders on there. Um, keep putting them down. But Instagram told you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually they do. <laughs> but I mean, putting pen to paper and actually seeing those numbers is a really helpful. It gives me a better idea of how many times I can buy certain items, how many times I do, what my spending habits are, what my patterns are with my money. And once I put it all down, then I upload it into my spreadsheet. And it does all the calculations for me so I can see it's like a big reveal. It's kind of fun to see like, am I, did I keep within my budget this month? And I like doing it this way because it's not necessarily reverse budgeting, but it's like trusting myself and knowing that I'm confident in the amount of money I have, knowing what comes in and what goes out. And this is the reassurance I need. Even if I'm over budget one month, then I have that opportunity to rework next month's budget. I also look at my calendar, like what's coming up next month? Do I need to shift some of my spending to prepare for those changes? Do you do this with your partner or are you? is it something you take on in your relationship? This is something I take on. We do like monthly check-ins. We talk about money constantly in our house. Um, even my daughter loves talking about it with us now. But we, I just do this myself because I... I'm interested. I find it fun. Nick is not as much into these, but he has access to the spreadsheet and he can go in anytime and, and check out how we're doing. 
Do you know, it's funny, like growing up, my mom every year would get like one of those 200 page Hillroy lined like uh, notebooks and every page was a different like category of budget. And mm-hmm. she, it like I, it drove me nuts, like watching her with all these receipts, just like flipping pages <laughs> and doing But that's what worked for her. And like we came from a state of like almost being bankrupt at one point and that was like one of those things that like really truly helped her process it she's never been a computer person but she still does that to this day and it's interesting like that even with the excel spreadsheets and all the apps or whatever at your disposal that you still choose to start with pen to paper right like it's almost like that journaling aspect of like getting things out on paper before you can process it Yeah, I am definitely that type of processor, especially because even with my calendar, like I put it in my phone, I put it on my computer, then I write it in my notebook, then I put it on our fridge calendar. The more times I do it, the more consistent of a habit it is, Mm -hmm. the more likely I am to remember because I've done it two or three times. It seems repetitive and it might seem redundant, but it does give me that peace of mind in knowing I've done this and it feels more real this way everything is so digital with our finances you Mm -hmm. tap your card you swipe your card you tap your phone you don't really understand and if you aren't checking in on your bank accounts every day you aren't really aware of what's going on so that's why this one thing or this one hour that I dedicate to writing by hand is so important to me Mm -hmm. it's really really interesting and I think it helps it's got to help with that anxiety, at least for you, right? Like, I mean, this is your process, but for other people, it is that way of everything feels overwhelming. Here's where I can notice the patterns to start taking control, like you were saying. Yes, it's kind of like an exercise in that. And that is a huge part of it is the control issues that Mm -hmm. a lot of people with anxiety have. And this is one of those ways that I kind of relinquish that control like I give myself permission to do what I feel is best with my money during the month and then I take back that control when I actually track those expenses so at the same time you actually have a course coming out on financial anxiety can you tell us a little bit about that what's in the course why you wanted why right now kind of thing for sure so it's called bills and chills I wanted to make it a little bit more fun and a little less intimidating and I create it because I myself have always experienced anxiety. And when I did pay off my debt, even after I paid off my debt, I had intense amounts of financial anxiety. I had a lot of guilt and I had a lot of shame and I felt a lot of scarcity around my money. I felt like there was never enough. Even though I was in a good spot financially after paying off my debt, I still felt like there wasn't enough and I couldn't feel secure. And that's what my second book was about. Financial first aid was like all of the like tools that I've used to reduce my anxiety around money. And I wanted to put it into more of a digestible format, a more compassionate approach where I'm actually talking to you about how financial anxiety can impact your life, what money trauma looks like, and how to actually move forward without that guilt, without that shame, and removing the feeling that there isn't enough. And what's like, what's the breakdown of the course? Like, what are the kind of categories that's you, that you're going to cover? So there are four modules. The first module, we basically identify what financial anxiety looks like and what type of anxiety you may have. And the second one, we dive a little bit deeper into the money trauma. So what kind of money disorders might you have? Because there are a lot of different ways that money impacts us. And then we talk about that enough. So an entire module on finding enough, like how much do you need for retirement really? How much does scarcity impact your life? And how can you maximize your money and reduce the stress load that you carry? And in the very end, once we've kind of tackled building a better and healthier relationship with your money, we put together a financial plan to actually move forward and live an anxiety-free or reduced anxiety life with your money to feel more confident in those decisions you make. I love the idea of like focusing on how much is enough for you. What is it that you actually need? Because I think it it spills over into so many areas when I think of not even just like how much money I need for retirement, which is a question I have not yet answered for myself. And my <laughs> I just always squirrel away money every month and like hope that it's enough. But the other piece being like, 
like when do you stop with the information like the amount of information that you take in on this subject right like there's so much advice that you could take there's so many differing opinions like the Dave Ramsey's all the whatever's of the world and you're like what is the right thing to do with my money it sounds like you very much focus also on like what do you as an individual care about and what do you as an individual need because like don't worry about what they're doing over there like this is your money and your life that's exactly what it's about because when I was done paying off my debt and doing all of the right things, like what the experts told me, it still felt like something was off. And I want people to feel like they can just focus on what needs to happen, but not forget that everything we do with our money is fueled by emotion. So if you have a healthy relationship with money and you have this mindset that you are capable of doing what's necessary with your money to feel secure, then you're more likely to succeed. If you remove the emotion and you just focus on the numbers, you lose sight of why you want to do the things you are doing with your money. So maybe we can talk a little bit more about that money mindset. What are the kind of common money mindsets that you find that you, that people find themselves in? It sounds like scarcity is one of them. Yeah, there are a lot of different money traumas that you can deal with because all of us have had, again, different relationships with money because there is a lot of that scarcity mindset. There's the fear of the unknown, which is that financial anxiety piece. There's people who avoid money altogether, which is like money avoidance. You just fear looking at your bank accounts, paying your bills, dealing with any of those things. And then there's the flip side where you obsessively think about money and money giving you power and status and it impacting how you live your life because you're so focused on what it makes you look like. You're making me think of succession right now. I'm like, I just watched <laughs> the other night. Yeah, so there's definitely a spectrum. And like that money trauma, I th- do you find that, because I think there's people who could say, well, I clearly have money trauma because I've been in serious debt or been bankrupt or whatever. Are there like, innocuous ways that that money money trauma can show up for people like you wouldn't necessarily I I find this so much with my clients in general they say well I didn't have that bad a life or I didn't have this like it's not that bad it's almost like the pain olympics that they're playing and yet it's something that is really niggling at them do you see that often in money trauma that it's something maybe that to the outside doesn't seem big but it plays a huge role in their their story and their mindset Mm -hmm. So, well, not everyone has money trauma, first Mm -hmm. of all, but that doesn't mean that you don't experience a lot of the traits or the symptoms that might come from those things. And one of the things that we like often forget is that our upbringing is like the bulk of how we manage our money and who we are in adulthood. And so small things like your parents' values and how your parents parented you are going to impact your relationship with money and these money narratives that you have about money. So if your parents were really um, assertive and they, but they were gentle, you know, like what is that affirmative parenting where they're just strict when they need to be strict, but gentle when they need to be gentle. And if you grew up in a household that was like that, that was very stable, you experienced little trauma, then you might be great at money. And you, might, and you might feel really good about how you're managing your money. But at the same time, you could grow up in that household and your parents might have said a few times or multiple times to you that we shouldn't be spending this money, we should be giving this money to someone else. That immediately is a money narrative that you will just carry with you into adulthood. And you might feel guilty or ashamed for spending money on yourself because you were always told that you should be giving that money to other people. So... It's small things that happen continuously over time when you're growing up that other people tell you is what money should be that you subconsciously do when you're in adulthood. How do you, like, what do you find the easiest ways to start rebuilding that mindset or that narrative? Because changing thoughts and beliefs is such a, like, it's a hardwired thing. It takes time. I think the first thing that helped me With all of this was honestly just being able to label it. I don't like labeling myself with like certain things. I don't want to label anyone else, but it helps a lot to just be able to say, oh, that's what that is. Like, it's not me. 
It's this external thing. And it gives you back a little bit of power in knowing like it's not your fault and you don't need to carry that guilt or that shame with you anymore. And then once you're aware of it, you can actually start to challenge it. Mm -hmm. You know, why do I feel this way? Do I feel this way? Or is this someone else's narrative that I'm carrying with me and pushing back against those things? I love the name it to tame it because that's just so integral to so many areas of our lives. Oh, I, sorry. My brain is already like, oh, these are the things I need to change about my money mindset. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, do you find like it must, does the money mindset, do you also find changes depending on um, like major milestones in your life? Because I found my money mindset when I didn't have kids versus now that I have kids and they're so freaking expensive has <laughs> changed like significantly. Yes, I do. I think like, I think I didn't, I wouldn't have any money trauma had I not gone through my experience with debt. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that is how my upbringing impacted me is that my parents never really worried about money. They didn't make it seem like it was a big deal. So I didn't think money was a big deal. I spent it freely. I enjoyed myself. And then when I finally had to step back and push back into, oh, wait, I have to be responsible. I have to understand these concepts. Financial literacy does matter. Um, because that's something too, is a lot of us don't learn about this stuff growing up. I created scarcity for mm -hmm. myself. I like put myself on a spending freeze. I stopped spending money completely and I forgot how to spend money. I couldn't do it without feeling so much fear. So, so you went from one end of the pendulum to the other, right? Yes, exactly. And finding that balance has got to be a, tr a tricky one. If so, in terms of the mind, like, if we are in a really tight spot, right? Like there is no money left over at the end of the month. Like we are just getting all of the clear budget items like out of the way. How can we start to resolve some of that money, money trauma if it feels like we're in that tight spot? It sounds like we can name it to tame it. We can start to acknowledge what it is that we, like, is this story true? Like, what am I telling myself? What, what can I do differently? And then focus on those pieces that we are in control of? Like, is it, is that kind of like the first steps that you would follow? Yeah, I think what it ultimately comes down to is you do need to build those habits. Yeah. You do need to stick to a budget. You do need to understand your income and your expenses. You do need to start investing for your future. The more you do those things and the more in line you are with what you want to achieve financially, the better off you'll be and the more room you'll have to actually focus on healing that money trauma and healing your relationship with money. Because that was really what, what changed for me is once I realized there is enough money for me, I have these multiple streams of income now. I have room to build more wealth. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I don't have to think about that stuff anymore. Now I can focus on what matters to me and how I'm going to get there. I would imagine the habits that you built gave you confidence that you could keep doing it. And it also gave you evidence, right, to combat the stories in your head. Because you were able to look on paper and say, look, I did show up and I did make these changes. And I can yeah. do something even more next time or whatever that looks like. Yeah. And that's, and that's small things. It's like you can set a goal, but if you don't build the habit or take the action that actually achieves that goal, then you're not going to, to make any progress. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is very exciting because I'm already like, what is the one little habit I'm going to change about my money this week? Interesting. <laughs> I, it's one of those things like, and this is where like Instagram influencing is a real thing. I'm like, do I need to start shopping at, um, Superstore because like Alyssa's got all these points and she like gets the money every month. I'm like, I'm just shopping at Walmart and I get nothing. I get nothing. <laughs> so hey, I go to Walmart sometimes because it's they have cheaper groceries. So it depends on what you need that month. Yeah. No, that's interesting. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about something. So for those that don't know, Alyssa also has a podcast called Money Feels, which just fire I was listening I was, on my, <laughs> I was on my vacation and I was listening to your episode about like uh money for entrepreneurs as an entrepreneur myself and I'm like oh my god this is hitting so close to home and, and in a good way and in a slightly scary way but in a it was it was really really good so I one of the topics that you talk about is the idea of a rich life 
Can you tell us what that is? Because I think people start to just think, oh, it's like that uh, the MTV show, like Cribs and stuff like that. Like, what is a rich life and what does it mean to you? So this is actually a concept that was created by Remy, and he has that new show on Netflix. What is, I can't remember what it's called. Is it how, like to how to Get Rich? I haven't yeah. watched it, but I've seen it. So yeah, How to Get Rich. And, you know, it's not about, yeah, how to actually build wealth. It's about how to live your life on the terms that you want. So essentially creating value-based spending to line up with where your money goes. So if you want a life, for me, for me I want a life where I get time back. Time scarcity is like my biggest thing that I need to heal. And so anytime I can spend money that provides me with more time for myself and the things that I want to do, I'll do it. So that's my rich life. So I now hired a house cleaner. They come every month and that gives me time back that I don't have to worry about cleaning. I get to just like freely roam through my house and not worry about my kid spilling their yogurt all over the floor because even if I can't get to it today, it will get taken care of. So that's one thing. But it's basically just changing your daily habits to get what you want out of life. I like that because it's even, I think of like my brother and I, and we have a very different version, I think, of what our rich life would be. My rich life is very much like the ability to travel. And it doesn't have to be like fancy travel, but it's mm -hmm. just like ha ha being able to have those really memorable experiences with my kids and like my brother's just not a traveler that is never something that's ever going to show up on his budget his rich life looks totally different to mine and it all comes down to what you care about most right yeah and that's like one of Ramit's is when he travels he loves to stay at really nice hotels like luxury hotels so he prioritizes that in his travel plans and although that seems like a really big change I also, like Bridget and I have talked about on the podcast, making a realistic rich life. Yeah. It doesn't have to be crazy. Like if you just, I said, I would love if I could get my car washed every week. It's, it's like expensive. It takes time, but I would feel so good. I would feel like my life's put together if my car was clean every single week. So small changes like that can also make a big difference in how you feel. I like that because like... And when you talk about that, they don't need to be hugely expensive. Like part of my rich life, I also value my time massively. And I'm like, maybe my rich life is I start to pay for delivery of my groceries. Mm -hmm. I already go and pick them up. Like I've already yeah. done the ordering online. What does it cost? An extra $10? And I could be spending that equivalent $10 doing something else, making more money for my business or whatever that looks like. Yes, exactly. What do you value and how are you going to make the change in your financial life to get that to be a more like regular part of how you live. So it sounds like though, and I think that you were saying you had this fear of spending money for mm -hmm. a while. How do you get over that fear? Because is it, because that's all, as soon as I say, I'm going to spend money on getting my groceries delivered. I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> the internal fear comes in. So that is that guilt and that shame. Yeah. So I really stopped worrying about that when I started to, again, question mm -hmm. the why. Like, whose shame is this? Whose guilt is this? Is this is this something I'm actually guilty about? Or is this what society's told me I should feel guilty for? Because as a mom and as a woman, it seems like no matter how we spend our money, we'll be judged. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as I started questioning that, I realized, uh, this doesn't actually have anything to do with me and how I'm feeling. So one thing I did personally, which if you follow me on Instagram, you would see is that I started taking myself on a solo date every single month. And originally I was doing it because I wanted to have more time for myself because I don't get that very often. And it instead turned into me learning how to spend money on myself because I was able to pick one thing that would bring me joy. And a lot of those things cost money. And the very first time I did it, I felt like so much anxiety about doing this for some reason. And so I started to question, wait, why? And all I wanted to do was spend money on my kids, forgetting that I was doing this for me. So little changes like that have helped me a lot. And I also have a spreadsheet that just helps me track all of the things I want to buy and become more intricately aware of why I want those things 
what they cost. If it's under a certain threshold, I just give myself permission to buy it. If it's over a certain threshold, I put a reminder in my calendar to come back and check to see if I still want it in three months, six months. And I've slowly gotten to understand why I want to buy certain things and what they mean to me. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. So many ideas are, are pinging off in my head right now because I'm just like, it doesn't have to cost much money either, right? Like that can no. be, you know, yes, it could be going to a movie, which I feel like movies cost a friggin' fortune now as I took uh -huh. my kids to Super Mario <laughs> the other day. And I'm like, why? But like, if you're doing it for yourself, it can be a coffee at Starbucks, like with reading a book or whatever, or like an audio book that month. Like these things don't have to cost that much money to bring you that much joy, but it's that intentionality piece, right? Is it actually going to bring you joy or are you spending mindlessly? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Interesting. Love it. Um, I want to quickly talk about um, the concept of coast fire because I had never heard of this before uh, following you on Instagram. For those that don't know, first of all, like what is coast fire? So coast fire or we call it coast fine, which is financial independence, not early, okay. is basically just front loading your retirement or sorry, front-loading your investments when you're younger so that they'll grow to a portfolio that secures uh, the retirement that you want. So the number that you want to achieve in retirement. And once you hit that number, you don't have to put another dime into your investment accounts. And this is something you're doing right now, right? Or you're trying to do? Yes. This is something I'm hoping to achieve by the end of this year, which is a little bit sooner than I originally planned. I had a plan to hit Coast Fire by 35 and now I'm going to try and hit it by the end of this year. So I'll be 33 this year. Holy shit. <laughs> it's like, because when I go to those calculators and figure out like how, but this then comes back to like, how much do I actually need in retirement? And if you go to these websites, like the Sun Lifes or the banks or the whatever, how realistic is it what they're telling you what you're going to need in retirement versus what you actually need? Like that seems like such a hard thing for people to figure out how much I need to retire. Yeah, those calculators aren't bad necessarily, mm -hmm. but a lot of them are scary because yeah. you're thinking like that's a big amount of, of money and I'm not contributing enough right now. But you have to remember too, like if that's all you can contribute right now, that's all you can contribute right now. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you're not going to be able to contribute more in five to 10 years because typically we do end up earning more income in our later years. And that is why people end up retiring at 65 because we need that extra income earning period of our life to get there. But with Coast Fire, you have to hit a certain percentage of your target retirement balance by a certain age. So for example, because I wanted to hit Coast Fire by 35, and if I was planning to still retire at 65, because that's what it is, I mm -hmm. would continue to work. I just wouldn't have to invest for retirement anymore if I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. Then I would need to save or invest, sorry, $100,000 by 35 years old. And that would ensure at an average rate of return of 8%, which isn't, isn't unrealistic because historically that is around where the stock market would get you, mm -hmm. then you would have a million dollars when you retire. That's it. A hundred thousand. I mean, I say that's it. Like, you know, the hundred thousand dollars isn't a lot of money, but it's less than I would have thought you needed to hit. Yeah. And I think that's another thing too, is a lot of people feel like they need way more than they do yeah. to retire. So you do. And like, this is up to you. If you wanted to have $2 million when you retire, you will need $200,000 by 35. Mm -hmm. If you need 3 million, you would have to invest $300,000. So it's your choice. And yeah. I like the idea of, I can push really hard right now and hit that $100,000 and then I can ease off the brakes. So if one year my kids have a ton of extracurricular expenses, because that'll happen when they're older, I can say, actually, I don't need to contribute to my TFSA this year. So yeah. now I have an extra $6,000 that I can put towards these additional expenses. So what it really gives me is this freedom of how I choose to use my money without having this pressure of, I need to invest $6,000 this year or I'm not going to be able to retire. Because anything that removes one worry, every time I remove one worry, I get closer to living my rich life. Mm-hmm. And you make, like you were saying way at the beginning of the podcast, you make better decisions when you are in that clear-headed space, that less worried space. So you can actually yes. problem solve from that state as opposed to 
the panic, I'm going to be on the streets in my retirement. Yes, you're thinking more about the immediate. Everything seems urgent when mm-hmm. you're anxious or when you're living in a, in a sense of scarcity. Has it been difficult for you to like achieve that Coast Fire? Like, because you're also at a stage of life that is expensive, right? Like, kids are expensive. Uh, you know, you've been gotten married. You have a house. All those things. Like, was that super challenging, or did you just budget accordingly? Like, it's a simple case of the values, and that's what was more important in this phase. I've just been doing what I can. Like, mm-hmm. I have also taken time off of contributing to my kids' RESPs so that I can focus on Coast Fire because. Right this is a shorter term goal. And if I don't have to invest in my retirement when I'm 35, then I have more room to breathe to put into their college funds when I'm done making those contributions. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's given me, it's been not super easy because you do have to be a little bit more aggressive with the amount of money you're putting away. Mm -hmm. But I'm also not putting a ton of pressure on myself. I don't like applying a ton of pressure to hit a certain financial goal. Mm -hmm. I like doing whatever feels right. So I have my baseline amounts that I automate that go into my investment accounts. And at the end of every month, if I have anything left, or at the end of the year, if I have anything left, I can make a lump sum contribution, or I can make an extra contribution to further those goals. Mm -hmm. I love it. It actually feels so much more achievable than... I originally was thinking because it was like for me it was like what is that magic number it seems like it's got to be so high and yet yeah no I feel so much better after that Thank compounding you. is a very magical thing and when yeah. you think about it if you've done if you've put a hundred thousand dollars away by 35 because a lot of us don't start investing right when we turn yeah. 18 then you know you you've built enough of a buffer that it will grow you have 30 years to mm-hmm. let that money grow in an investment account. And what really matters more than the amount of money you contribute to your retirement accounts is when and the time that it has to sit and grow. Yeah. And in terms of like investments, like I think a lot of us, because we feel we don't know enough about money or we're scared about money, we rely, like I know I am rely currently on like the investors group because like I'm like, oh, investment seems so scary. And yet (laughs) the there's going to be that fee or whatever that comes off on the other end. How, what, what are the resources, I guess, for you, like that you would say are the first steps for people who want to explore investing on their own, but are like, Ooh, this seems hairy. Well, first of all, I tell this to my kids all the time. The more, you know, about something, the less scary it is. Mm-hmm. So if that's like broccoli, <laughs> if we learn about broccoli, suddenly it's not that scary anymore. It's just a vegetable. Um, and so I feel like when you start to give your cha- yourself a chance to learn about these things and stop saying, I don't have time to learn about this. I don't mm-hmm. want to learn about this. Someone else can handle this. If you prioritize yourself and give yourself a chance to learn about these things, you'll feel less intimidated by them. Mm-hmm. So just learning, what do all of these acronyms mean? What does a TFSA mean? What does RRSP mean? What, what can I do with these accounts? Even just knowing like what the contribution room is and like how the withdrawals work can give you that confidence in knowing, well, if I need to go to my financial advisor or the person who's managing my money and ask these questions, I'm going to understand what they're saying. And I have a little bit more power and control in those conversations. So you can go into that conversation of, hey, wondering what my management fee is. How much are you charging me to invest my money? And just just asking that question gives you a little bit more power. Mm-hmm. in those rooms. So the more you know, the better you'll you'll do. We can't like we don't do well if we don't have the information because it's scary and yeah, it's hard to walk into those rooms and feel confident enough to approach those conversations, but you have to give yourself the tools to get there. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Before we uh wrap up with the rapid fire, I do you want to just do a little uh announcement for the course where people can find it, all that good stuff? Oh yeah, sure. So it's called bills and chills it's on you can find a link to it on the link in my instagram bio if you want quick and easy access but it's um on thinkific it launches officially on may 26th so i'm not sure when this podcast will be out but pre-sale is open just for one week and then we'll wait until launch and you can join anytime and as soon as you join it's immediate lifetime access and there's tons of great tools in there and a community that you'll also have access to so you can chat with other people 
who experience the same financial anxiety that you do and also have direct access to me to ask any questions. I love it. And for those of you who are listening, we will drop a link directly to the course in uh, the description of the podcast. And we're also going to be doing a giveaway of one of Alyssa's books on Instagram. So you'll have to, if you're listening to this, when it comes out, you've got like a week to participate. So head on over to Instagram and I will be giving away her financial first aid book. Um, Okay. So rapid fire questions. Uh, What's one of your favorite things you've spent money on recently? Oh my gosh. Uh, Probably new socks from Costco. (laughs) I just bought them like two days ago and I never buy myself socks. So I felt like a real grown up that day. Nice. <laughs> and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money to feel good, right? Exactly. I like it. Uh, what is your favorite financial resource that you think more people should know about? A resource, I feel like rather than a resource, I always push people towards books. Mm-hmm. For one thing, they're affordable and they're chock full of information and you can access them when you're ready and like come and go. Mm-hmm. So. I love all financial books. I feel like they all have good ad libs, pieces of advice, even if the whole book's not for you. But Die With Zero is my favorite right now. Yeah, I read that after you had recommended it. And I'm like, this is a whole different way to think about (laughs) my money. Like, I love that. When you are super overwhelmed, what is like the best song for you to like dance it out? We love rock songs in our house, so we can do air guitar. So we love I Believe in a Thing Called Love by The Darkness. I love it. Oh, I love it. And what are the best three things that you do to manage your own stress? Easily therapy, even though it's expensive. I am a big fan of deep breathing. I never used to be, but now it's something I do daily. And writing, journaling. It makes sense why your first book was a journal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Alyssa, for joining us on the podcast. I hope everyone heads over to Instagram to follow Alyssa and make sure that you participate in the book giveaway on uh, Stressless Ladies. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Alyssa for joining us on the podcast. That was an absolute blast and I learned so much. So I don't know about you, but if you would like to learn even more, I highly recommend you take part in the giveaway to grab Alyssa's second book, Financial First Aid. So just head on over to my Instagram at stresslessladies. And if you are interested in Alyssa's course, uh, bills and chills to further manage your financial anxiety, or you just want to, you know, connect and learn a little bit more about her, check out the show notes for today her check out the show notes for today where I have all the links to all the things. So until next week, have a fantastic week and let's stop stressing out together.